Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about the barren fig tree, a parable of Jesus. going to see in this episode if we have enough room in our conversation for two Scots. It's because we got Scott Reed joining us, who's a student from Northern Seminary and the Masters of Arts in New Testament cohort that Dr. McKnight is leading. So before we get to the conversation, Scott, would you let our listeners know just a little bit about this project that we're working on? This is... uh... This is the Scott with one T or the Scott with two T's, you're asking that question. (laughs) Okay. Uh... I, I believe that one of the best disciplines for uh, pastors learning to communicate with lay people is the discipline of writing clear, accessible prose that is interesting to people in the church and not uh, geared exclusively for the academic guild, other professors, other high-level students, other seminary-educated people, but something that is accessible. So part of, uh, so part of our Master of Arts in New Testament cohort uh, procedures or, and, and something that pervades the entire uh, program is writing uh, prose, writing papers uh, that will be accessible to the church. And one of the things that I want to do is each year have a major project that we work on And for the first year in our Master of Arts and New Testament cohort, the project is uh, because the first one of the first courses is on Jesus. And one of the central themes and one of the central features of the teachings of Jesus is his parables. So I thought we would all uh, work on on a book on interpreting the parables. And each student is assigned another student although in a few cases they're working alone, and they are to work together on a parable along with me, and then they're going to submit a, a presentation, and then I will edit and uh, tell them to go back for more work until we get this uh, in better shape. And we're developing uh, a theme in the parables, and the parable theme is this, that each parable is an opportunity for the listener in this in the world of Jesus to imagine a world like this. So each parable is an imaginative encounter of the kingdom of God as Jesus understands it with first century Galilean and Judean listeners in such a way that it jolts their world, shocks their world, and invites them into a narrative that imagines or makes possible that kind of uh, imagination of that kind of kingdom world. So uh, every every parable is an is an opportunity to imagine a different kind of world, a different kind of Israel, a different kind of Galilee, and a different way of relating to one another. And I and I compare parables to um, to fiction that we read. And I'm not the world's best fiction reader. But in the last few years, I have fallen into routine transgressions of reading novels and short stories, and I've learned a lot, and I, and I begrudgingly am admitting this, but it's, it's taken me nearly six decades to be interested in reading 
uh, fiction. So, so take someone like Flannery O'Connor who imagines uh, some kind of bizarre world. Uh, it's often called Southern Grotesque. Or imagine the Lord of the Rings as you enter into those stories and into that long narrative uh, from Frodo and Bilbo Baggins all the way into the deep levels of Mordor. Or imagine C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and getting into Narnia. As you enter into those worlds, uh, your imagination is stimulated, uh, your hopes are enkindled, and you get plopped out like the Pevensey children out of the wardrobe door into the reality of the home, and all of a sudden you're back living life. But the life that you're living now is a life that has been, in that sense, infected or corrupted or improved and enhanced and reimagined because of the encounter with this fictional world. I believe this is what Jesus does all the time in his parables, and some of them are very long. Actually, none of them are even short stories. Some of them are long and some of them are short, but each one of them, even if a very short parable, is an imaginative world where we encounter kingdom realities that then bounces us back into uh, our world, the disciples into Galilee, where they have to learn to live in a different way. So the students in the class are going to be asked to uh, approach every parable from the idea of imagining a world like this to see what that parable teaches about that imagined kingdom world, and then to keep their eye on their churches and, and their personal life of how this parable challenges life in the here and now. And one of, uh, one of the parables that was uh, chosen by our students is called the parable of the barren fig tree. And the student uh, who is working on this, his name is Scott Reed. And I'm going to ask Scott to introduce himself now a bit, tell us what he's doing. And then we'll uh, talk a little bit about this parable. And Scott will jump in and Chaz will jump in. And I'll jump in as well. Well, hey, it's uh, it's good to be on here with you guys. Uh, my name's Scott Reed, and I minister at Monroe Christian Church in Monroe, Michigan. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of the MANT program and to get to talk to you guys today. Dr. So. McKnight, I don't know if you know this, but Scott and I go go way back. Not only did we do our undergrad at the same Bible college in Missouri, but I was actually Scott's RA up on Boatman Third in the dorm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, I love, I mean, you guys are in, in the in what's called the restoration movement, mm -hmm. uh, the independent Christian churches, I think, of America or something like that. Um, and I love uh, the restoration movement because it loves the Bible. And I found my opportunity at Ozark Christian College, where you guys went to school, to be just so in encouraging to find that many students who are taking all those courses on Bible and they can speak fluently and personally from their own Bible studies. So I'm, I'm happy that we have a number of your sort in our Master of Arts program and uh, and you're all doing very well, and I know you'll make a great contribution to our seminary, but also to churches in the future. So, Scott, uh, you're you're working on the parable of the fig uh, of the barren fig tree. You know, I think I'll read the parable, um, okay, and give you a little bit of time to uh, 
think about some ideas that you have to share with us about the parable. So Jesus told this parable, and I like to add this. Imagine a world like this. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should you, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Well, that's quite a parable. Doesn't even... We don't even have an ending in that sense, what's called a nimshal, uh, yeah. an interpretive uh, word at the end. So, so Scott, uh, I know you're working on this parable. I know your work's not done, but I wonder if you have a few thoughts for us that can get our conversation started about this parable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, there's no nimshal at the end, but I think uh, like some of Jesus' other parables, I think the meaning is found in um, the verses that come before it, where um, the context of the parable is when um, some people are asking Jesus about um, some event where Pilate had killed some Galileans and mixed their blood with their sacrifices, and uh, we don't we don't have any other historical record of that event, so we don't know any more about it. Uh, yeah, that and, seems uh, really strange. I gotta say, you don't have. We're starting off with not the easiest <laughs> parable, and uh, yeah, that is just like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. uh, it, it's like Pilate to be a little brutal, and uh, that's not at all unusual. So, I mean, it's not unusual for first century rulers and governors to act with violence. So, well, Scott, mm-hmm. you you see this as the context for the parable. Yeah, I think so. And uh, and Snodgrass does as well in Stories with Intent, if that helps any. Uh, but yeah, they they bring this up to Jesus, and uh, he answers and says, do you think these Galileans were you know, we're sinners than everybody else in Galilee. Um, and he says, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will, you will likewise perish. Maybe you'll, you'll die too, or you'll die in the same way. Um, then he says, what about also those, you know, Jesus brings up 18 people, um, that a tower in Siloam fell and crushed them and killed them. And he says, do you think that they were worse sinners than everybody else in Jerusalem? No, but in the same way, if, unless you repent, you will perish likewise. And uh, so I, I think, and then right from there, it says, and he told them this parable and, and launches right into it. And uh, that's, that's the only indication of context or, or meaning or interpretation of the parable. Um, and and I, I, think, I think that's important. I think it gives us the framework of what he's saying. Um, he's telling this parable of, uh, you know, the, the a fig tree that's not bearing fruit and the owner of the vineyard has been coming for three years and looking for fruit and there's no fruit. And, uh, you know, fig trees, honestly, are, you know, not they don't require that much work. You know, if you've got a fig tree that um, after that amount of time still isn't bearing fruit, you know, we don't know how old the tree is, but he's been coming for three years looking for fruit. Um, you know, you ought to you ought to have cut it down three years ago, you know. Um, but this gardener really strangely says, no, let me have another year and I'll I'll dig around it and fertilize it and give it special attention and then. You know, we'll see if it's bearing fruit in a year. And then if it's still not bearing fruit, then go ahead and cut it down. And um, so I, I think it's I think what's going on here is Jesus is responding to, uh, 
you know, to the, to the, and I think this is kind of relatable that he's responding to an attitude toward the world that, um, you know, in an, in an effort to explain suffering and, and violence, we use, you know, these, um, that this mindset that it must be retribution for something, you know, these people yeah, must've been yeah. the worst sinners in Galilee, you know, and we see evidence of that, um, Jesus responding to that as well in like John nine, you know, with the man born blind, you know, who sinned him or his parents. And Jesus says, neither, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so I, I think, I think it's responding to that, that kind of mindset and that kind of thinking. And, and the point is Jesus is saying, well, I mean, unless you repent, we're all going to perish where you're all going to, you know, there, there is a judgment, um, some kind of retribution coming. We, you don't read it into, you know, this specific event is tied to some specific evil that these particular people did and it's punishment, um, which I think is really relatable, but also there is a judgment coming and, um, the fact that it hasn't come already, that it's delayed at all is, is an act of mercy, um, in delaying it. And, um, the giving us another chance to repent and, and to turn around. Well, Scott, do you think do you think this parable, um, in that context with the Galileans and the tower at at Siloam, mm-hmm. do you think that this parable uh, is then looking, uh, in a sense, at the people who are sitting on judgment? Let's say uh, they're judging the people who were killed in these incidents as particularly worthy of judgment because they were, after all, sinful. Our Bible teaches, they would say, that those who are obedient are blessed by God and those who are disobedient are cursed by God. Death like this must be a curse, so therefore they must have been disobedient. Is Jesus then turning the table on the people who are sitting in judgment on those people in this parable and warning them? Or uh, or is that not at all in view? What do you think? I, I think so. I think that's, I mean, that's exactly what he says initially in his response is uh, he does turn it around on them. He says, do you think they were worse sinners than everyone else in Galilee or Jerusalem? And then he says, no, you know, flat out says, no, they weren't. But I tell you, unless you repent, you know, you plural, the people he's talking to, you also will perish this way. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think he's at least talking to them. I think, I think there's definitely a, a universal message in there that applies to everybody, but yeah, he's definitely turning it back around on the people that brought that up. You know, it's it's like Jesus uh, in his parables to start telling a story and you think, oh, I'm totally on Jesus's side and I'm totally with these characters. And then suddenly you realize he's looking at he's looking at us. He's looking at you. And you go, oh, yeah. no, wait a minute. <laughs> he caught me in the narrative web of this parable. And I thought I was the good one. And now I realize he's looking right at me and saying something and I'm, I'm sunk. What can I, where can I go? I, I, I think this is typical of Jesus in his parables and it's genius. Mm. I heard, yeah. I think it was Soren Kierkegaard. I heard a quote from that. Uh, Jesus deceives us into truth almost. And, uh, <laughs> He's just a master at it. It's amazing. Yeah. Scott, I'm glad that you brought up about the little bit of the background about the fig trees don't require much root work because so much of the time I feel in, in parables, our, our main work is trying to, to figure out and wrestle with what shocked 
the the listeners and not having done much study of the parable myself come into i'm like fig tree like what's going why okay yeah that makes sense that he would want to destroy the fig tree doesn't want to take the the soil but the the main thrust of it culturally is like this fig tree's not costing much any like and it's his graciousness like you you mentioned i think is very valuable Mm. to understand the significance of what jesus is trying to say to that original audience Mm -hmm. and i i think that's the surprise in it uh like scott was talking about i think that you're hearing this story and you're hearing him talk about this fig tree and and as you're listening to the story you're thinking well, yeah, like this is a boring story. Why wouldn't you cut the tree down? And then you see the gardener saying, wait, but give it more time. And, and you know, and I, I think I think that's where the surprise is, is because you're in it. Think You're looking at this fig tree from the outside and saying, yeah, go ahead and cut it down. It deserves it. And then it turns around on you and you realize that you're the fig tree and you're failing to bear fruit. And it is, and and all before you were rooting for him to cut it down and throw it out and burn it or whatever. But now you're you're realizing, oh, I'm the fig tree. I don't want to be cut down. And how merciful of of him to suggest that you know we give give the tree more time to change its ways. You know, um, you know, I'm I'm one, I'm sitting here wondering. Uh, in a sense, everybody's a fig tree. I think that's the only way this story works. But there's another side to it: is that we probably think that we are a fig tree producing fruit and we are sitting in judgment on the fruit on the fig trees that don't produce fruit Mm. and so all of a sudden we realize that uh you know i've got to produce fruit and i better be producing fruit and it is a mighty good thing that god is patient and god is kind and not sitting in judgment and uh, on me immediately from my lack of fruit. So I, I think there's a sense in which we are both the fig tree that needs to produce fruit and a fig tree that thinks we are producing fruit. Mm-hmm. And this parable is here to surprise us and shock us into realizing that God's judgment is both sure, but at the same time, God is very patient and he wants all fig trees to be nurtured and cared for by good farmers so that they become fruitful. Uh, I mean, I think, I think those kinds of themes are at work in the parable. Yeah, absolutely. When we, I mean, this really, I guess is a question for either of you, but as we're approaching, you know, these parables, I think some of the time the church or those interpreting uh, get in, into danger over in over allegorizing every single little part uh, of the parable. <laughs> how, you know, how do we approach that? How do we, get the parable for all that it's worth and understand Jesus's significance both then and now for our lives and following him, but not do it injustice, I guess, of, of making too much of different elements of the story. You know, in the history of interpretation, uh, it's been, it's been very Christian. It's not, it's not very Christian, but it has been very Christian in interpretation for people to see the fig tree that needs to be cut down to be Israel and therefore it to be Jews and to be Pharisees and all Jews are Pharisees and therefore this is an anti-Pharisee parable of people who are not producing fruit. Um, And I think that Jesus is tricking people into thinking that they can sit in judgment on Pharisees just like that. Of course, this parable would uh, be speaking to Pharisees, 
But anybody who thinks they're better than a Pharisee is, is going to have Jesus looking at him eye to eye, um, pointing his fingers at him and pointing at his own eyes saying, hey, I got you in mind too, buddy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but that's been a, a traditional interpretation. But I think in the, in the narrative context, and Scott Reed has brought this out, I think, very clearly here, is in this parable, there, are, uh, there is a context of people thinking that those who experience judgment in this world or experience tragedies are being judged by God because they're sinful. And so those are the people that are surprised by the parable. And what they're surprised by is the patience of God that, that would explain the fact that those events were probably not judgments of God, tragedies in life, though they are. They're not, not so much judgments of God as opportunities for us uh, to turn from where we are and to become fruit-bearing fig trees. So something like that. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that's that, uh, that's really relevant to this parable in particular. It's it's the emphasis is not that judgment is coming. I mean, that's that's a theme in Luke and and this particular section of Luke that you see a lot of that of talk of bearing fruit and um, you know you see that a lot in Matthew as well, um, especially pointed at Israel. But that's the other thrust of it is not just that you who think you're secure, you know, are you really bearing fruit? standing there looking down on others are you are you bearing fruit yourself but then also but god is so merciful and patient to give you the time that he's given you and he he wants you to bear fruit he wants to go out of his way to give you another chance even when you know in this case with the fig tree it's unreasonable why would you there's no reason to but god is that cares that much that he would do that yeah yeah scott i know you preached this in this from this parable in your, one of your sermons in your church. Uh, curious, how did that go over? What what did people glean from it? How did it hit them? How, even, you know, and though it was one sermon one week, has it brought transformation in your church? Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's hard to answer. Uh, this was <laughs> back in August. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember in particular, I do, uh, I think I remember feeling afterwards like this one went well, you know, but then again, whenever, whenever I feel like one went well, that's often when it didn't. So, uh, it's hard to say. I can't, I can't tell you that I've, you know, that there was a, a radical turnaround of everybody there and, you know, that was really evident, but I, I hope, and I, I'm sure that, um, you know, it's, it's made some kind of impact in hearing the words of Jesus. So, yeah, I think I think one of the things about sermons, there are occasional sermon. Uh, of course, I preach them every Sunday. No, I don't preach every Sunday. Uh, that are life transforming, uh, but most sermons have a steady drip impact on people. Uh, there's a little refreshment there, and every week. So, if you were to preach a series of let's say 15 weeks or a series of 15 on the parables of Jesus, imagine a world like this. Mm. Uh, I, I would think that over, uh, over that period, uh, some subtle but pervasive shifts and per- perceptions and opportunities for growth would arise because of the steadiness of the, of the preaching. Uh, those one-off sermons are often not, uh, 
they can sometimes have a dramatic impact on an individual, sometimes on a church, but it's rare, but it's the steady vision. And I think that's the point of the parables of Jesus. When you start reading them and just collect them as, as a single group, study them through a great book like Klein Snodgrass's uh, Stories with Intent, which is just a beautiful textbook type thing for preachers, for mm -hmm. pastors, for students. Let's face it, he's doing a lot of work for us. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when you go through, when you prepare like that and do it for week after week after week, then I think the sermon, the sermonizing begins to uh, make its impact felt. Yeah, I think so, and and I've I've gotten to see um, this this is in in a I've been doing a series in Luke for it's it'll we'll be wrapping up actually very conveniently we'll be doing Luke twenty four and the resurrection on Easter uh, in April and that'll that'll make it a, a two year sermon series that I wow. I don't know whether I'll always do that do things that way but I just um, that was what I felt called to do and kind of in response to. Um, Shane Wood, one of our professors at Ozark, a challenge he gave that so I've been, I just started with Luke and went little by little with not, not too worried about how long it's going to take. And, um, and, and I think it's, it's been good in, in my own, you know, walk. It's been really, um, it's been really interesting. And I, I feel like I know Jesus better, you know, two years into this series going through Luke step by step and, um, I, th yeah, I think Scott, I like the image, you know, you said it, it's like a, a steady drip, you know, and I think that's what it's been, at least for me. And I hope for the congregation too, that of, you know, this, the themes in this parable are kind of a lot of the main themes that Luke reiterates over and over and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, yeah. and so the hope is that it's sinking in little by little and that we're growing through that. You know, one of the themes that comes up in this parable and this is a is something that Snodgrass observes, but many of us have observed for many years uh, uh, alongside Klein, and that is, in a sense, this is a parable about judgment that that humans are accountable to God, and that someday God will draw them into a courtyard, a courtroom scene, whether this is physical or or a sudden existential consciousness and reality. It doesn't matter at this point but that, that people will be judged and that anyone who believes in justice needs to long for judgment in order to name the evil and to eradicate or eliminate or to reverse the evil and turn it toward justice. So in a sense, this parable is at, at the deepest level. Imagine a world where uh, the patient God that God is will still inevitably and clearly and justly judge all people on the basis of how they have responded to God's will in Christ. So that, that's sort of the parable's theme, uh, the deep theme. And so judgment is one of those themes that I think it's pretty clear that postmoderns are, are a little uncomfortable with, that many people in our day are uncomfortable with. They find it to be so judgmental. Ha ha, the irony the irony is that many of the people who are most uh, nervous about God's judgment are also quite judgmental about other people in the world, and they discover that they want justice, and there is no justice without judgment. That's the ultimate, the ultimate reality. So this parable uh, brings us into a, an imagined world 
where there will be judgment, that the God of that judgment is very patient, that the God of that judgment longs and wants for the trees to be nurtured and to have fertilizer put around them. Uh, and, and it doesn't, you know, you're right. It doesn't take much for palm trees and for pineapple trees and, um, or is it grapefruit? Uh, grapefruit trees, uh, no pineapple trees that are growing, uh, on the Jordan. I, uh, it's a family joke. I, my entire life, I confuse pineapples and grapefruits, and for some reason, it, it will not stick. But I know, I know that I like they the taste yellow vastly one. Vastly different. I like, I like the yellow one, and I'm not so keen on the pink one. Um, yeah, I'm not so keen on the pink one either. Yeah. But, but, uh, and fig trees and dates are very common in Israel, and so uh, this was just a, a typical, colorful little story that Jesus was able to turn ordinary realities into an imagined world of kingdom realities. And mm -hmm. that's the genius of Jesus, is to take the ordinary and to see through the ordinary into the depths of God's uh, grace and God's work in this world. Yeah, I think that's so good and necessary to bring justice back to the foundation of where it's coming from, because I think that's why postmoderns and the like who, who may have a problem with the wrathful, judgmental God is not understanding that it's really coming from his love. And that yes. being the, the basis and, and function clearly in, in Luke in this parable um, and I think really in the whole Bible. Um, well, yeah. our time's running to an end here. Either you guys got any closing thoughts just to, to wrap up you know, your study of the parable, its meaning and significance um, for our listeners today. Scott, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. If you have something, I have something to say. But if you want to close us off, I, I mean, I, I'll say something anyway at the end. Okay. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think, Scott, you've really captured the gist of it. And I'm, I'm taking notes of some of the things you're saying and making sure to put that in the paper. <laughs> it's, uh, it, I, I think that's really it. And it, 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 it's a parable that invites you into this world where, you know, it's, it's a relatable example. And then it turns around on you. It, it really speaks both to the person that, um, would, would is quick to accuse and quick to judge and to say this happened to you because, you know, you deserve it, you know, much the way people did after Katrina, um, or, uh, you know, the AIDS crisis or things like that, or nine 11, you know, this is judgment, God's judgment for something. You deserve this. We're quick to judge in that way. Um, but I think it also, yeah, it, it speaks to also the people that are nervous about the idea of God judging because it, it tricks you into revealing your own judgment toward this mm -hmm. fig tree and your own tendency mm -hmm. to, to judge those, you know, or maybe even judge those who believe in God's judgment, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to turn it around and to show you, you are deserving of, you know, if, if you, you know, much like a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit is, you know, good for that fig tree, but it doesn't belong in a vineyard you know, um, much in the same way in the world that God created for us to create injustice in the world and to, um, create violence and, and evil and, and selfishness in, in the perfect world that God created. Uh, we, you know, to violate that in the same way, we don't, we're choosing to be someone that doesn't belong in the world that God created. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. and, and that's a, that's an, an injustice that deserves a response. Yeah. And I think that we need to back up and realize how potent a narrative can be. Um, I remember watching one time a movie by Stanley Tucci about two Italian brothers who were uh, went into the restaurant business, 
And there was an, a, a rival family that also went into the restaurant business and they turned it into the rival family, turned it into a, uh, uh, a typical Italian restaurant restaurant that was making lots of money. And anybody who wanted uh, something, they could have whatever they wanted. They could have uh, rice and they could have pasta and they could have potatoes all in the same plate where it's called the big night. And, uh, Tucci and his brother, or these two actors, they they wanted to do things right, and uh, it it was a great movie. And and Chris and I and, and some friends sat in the front row, and but what happened to me is the image of that movie did not leave me. Well, it never has left me, but didn't leave me for for a, two solid weeks where I just kept thinking about that movie and the potency of the image of doing things right, uh, whether you're successful or not, uh, that, that was a powerful image. And I think Jesus's stories are that way. He tells this story and people walked away and you went, wow, it seemed short. It seemed clever. And everybody was kind of laughing, but, but I can't get that image out of my head. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with these parables. Imagine a world like this. He tells this clever little story and you go, whoa, uh, God is going to be patient, but it's his patience is not going to be endless. Uh, we need to, we need to buckle in here and get ready by, by becoming fruitful trees. So, mm-hmm. so Scott, I really appreciate you joining us, taking time from your schedule. Yeah. Thanks Scott. And, With two T's for joining for us. Me. That's right. And Chaz, <laughs> As always, is doing a great job mm-hmm. keeping uh, reminding me of what we're doing and mm-hmm. keeping us going. So thanks. Yeah, I've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I've enjoyed listening, and it's been good to be on it. So thank you. Thanks, guys, and thank you, listeners, yep. for joining us today. Um, as always, I just will hope this conversation was helpful for maybe you know you're thinking about uh, preaching through the parables, and and um, we're just like more resource and info on that. One of the things you heard us mention was Clyde Snodgrass in his book, and um, that is one of the books, Stories with a Tent, that that we're kind of um, getting a lot of info from. I'll include a link to that if you'd like to to look into that. But uh, again, we're so thankful to have you join us and want to encourage you to make sure to subscribe so that you join us next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 